Some people are like, yes, I do. And other people are like, well, not really. I don't really have much in my life to share, you know. But God tapped me on the shoulder just to let you know that. Okay. Um, I'm in a, a small group on Thursday nights. We love watching Andy Stanley uh, tapes and teachings, and I just glean so much from him. We just went through one called You'll Be Glad You Did, Share the Wealth. It's for people over 40 years old. They talked about the parable where the master left town and he left money with three people. And the one was 10,000 talents, dollars, gold, pieces, whatever you want to make it. A lot of money, more than you could have in a lifetime. The second one, he left 2,000. The third one, he left 1,000. He was gone for a really long time. And the first one went out and he said, okay, I've got what the master wants. I'm going to go out and I'm going to multiply what he gave me. So when he returns, I, I have this for him, for his glory. Same with the one with the 2,000. The one with the 1,000, it's like, this is not a lot of money and I don't want to lose it and I don't want to risk anything. So he buried it. And when the master came back, the first two got a Good pat on the shoulder, well done. The third one's like, hey, what I gave you, you didn't even share. I have to take that away from you. I can't even trust you with that, you know. And Andy was saying, we're all given a treasure chest. We're all given stuff in our life that we put in there. And some of it's not pretty. We're not given great gifts necessarily and, you know, magnificent things. A lot of people following us, so, you know. We, some of us are given pain. Some of us are given horrible childhoods or marriages or friendships or, you know, things that happen in life, and they go into this, they go into this treasure chest because God gave us those things to multiply how he wants to glorify them, not us, how he wants to glorify them. And he wants you to share them with people that are under you. You should have people under you that you're pouring into all that you've learned, all that God has taken from you and turned the, those yucky rocks that he has tumbled and tumbled and tumbled and they come out beautiful gems. Okay, and I want to just give a short thing of my life, okay. Um, I was born an RH baby, which means my mom's body her blood was fighting my blood, trying to kill it off. One of my siblings died during transfusion. Back then, there was no shots for this. You went through transfusion. I survived, which meant I stayed in the hospital for a good long time. Um, therefore, you know, we've got that detach detachment thing, you know, that they're discovering that happens with, you know, different things that happen in your life. Um, also, I was called a, I was a DES baby. I didn't find that out until I was older. Uh, medication my mom was given affected me, and I will get back to that, how it affected me later on in my life. But God wove me in my mother's womb, and he knew me, and he knew the struggles I was going to have with these very little items that began at the beginning of my life. Okay, so I grew up in a middle-class military family, which meant we moved a lot. Therefore, that detachment thing happens because you can't make friends for very long. You get, pick up and move. 
you know, I was born in Panama, lived in South Carolina, lived in France, lived in Utah. Coming back to the States after having time in a foreign country, I was an outsider here. Besides, and we came to Utah, I was an outsider. <laughs> we were not part of the religion here. We were not part of the culture. Everything was foreign to us, you know. My dad was a very sweet, loving, giving man. He's the kind who would pour out his, his life for you. He, he ministered to people on the street, to people in prison, to people at the hospital. Um, but he was also a man with faults. He had, he was a, a binge drinker, alcoholic, um, a melancholy drunk. So weird thing is when he would get drunk, he'd talk about God, you know, which turned off my older siblings. Um, but planted a seed in me. And, and he was a man who hated his faults and tried to make up for them by his works. You know, like I say, a very loving man. My mother was steadfast through all of everything that, you know, going to be a military wife, dealing with my dad's alcoholism. She, she never complained but she was emotionally reserved. Um, when I was younger, I was sexually molested by neighbors in my family because we were a, an alcoholism does this, makes you closed mouth, you don't talk about things. So it was never shared. I never felt like it's something I could go to my parents for. You know, never sought comfort, never sought, why is this happening to me? Of course, that's very common in those situations. But God always had his hand on me. At 12 years old, and I grew up in the Catholic church, very religious family, went to church every Sunday. We went to confession every Saturday night. And I would stand in the confessional line trying to think of what am I going to tell them? You know, you had this little thing you had to memorize, and then you got to tell what you did wrong all during the week. And I'm like, okay, what did I do? You know, never heart-seeking, just what can I get out there? Because I'm in line, i got to get in there, i got to get my thing done, get my penance, you know. And at 12 years old, God spoke to me, although I didn't really know him, but he said, you don't need to talk to that priest. You can tell me. And I, that stuck with me. I, I have direct communication. He told me that. I didn't realize how awesome that was. The God of the universe just told me that, but you know, that was something he planted in my life. Um, through my teenage years, I had a boyfriend. Um, when I was 18, I got pregnant. He rejected me and the baby. And after that point, through some situations, he became very angered by some choices I'd made and decided to take it out on me and beat me up, and I lost that baby. Um, that's a very hard thing at that age. Once again, I had nobody to turn to. I had no, I couldn't talk to my family. I couldn't tell them. I was ashamed of the fact that I was pregnant. I mean, I probably would have just carried the pregnancy till it was obvious and then let them know, you know. You know, that's just, we didn't have that relationship in my family. Um, my, my roommate was going to be the one that walked alongside of me through this pregnancy. She was great. She'd already given up a baby for adoption, so she knew this, you know. So this was wonderful in this respect, but when that happened, it shattered my world, my trust, my 
any, anyway, during that time, I did a walkabout. I left anything to do with the church. Of course, I had kind of done that at 18 anyway, leaving home. Um, and became promiscuous during that time because I had no self-worth anymore, I thought. What does it even matter? You know, I didn't care. But God still had his hand on me. And he let me know I was better than that. This is not my life. This isn't who I wasn't created. I wasn't created for that. And so it just started feeling more and more foreign to me and more uncomfortable. And so I started straightening up. I, I ended up marrying somebody that I worked with. And um, he joined the Catholic Church. I became very in, involved in the Catholic Church again. And became I was a worship leader. Um, that's kind of a strange thing for me to say because I didn't know how to worship. I didn't know, I didn't have that relationship with God, but I led music. I, loved, I planned everything. I planned the choirs. I planned all of it. I was in charge. I was also part of a committee that planned on how the masses would go, how any meetings would go, you know. So I was very, very involved in that. My um, husband at that time was not very... Um, I mean, he was easygoing, go along with everything, but an alcoholic, kind of like my dad, but he was more chronic alcoholic, also unfaithful. So at a point um, when I was, a, we were about five years into the marriage, um, I had, we had a foster daughter who was handicapped, and she was taking a lot of my time, and he started becoming more and more distant, and at one point told me, he didn't love me anymore, didn't want to be married. I thought if I got the foster daughter out of her home, that would relieve the tension, we could work on it. And um, that wasn't his intention. So through all of this, starting at 16-2, I go back a little bit, going back to that medication my mom took when I, she was pregnant with me that was supposed to prevent spontaneous abortions. Um, it, it affected me. Um, in my, my reproductive system. So I started having ovarian cysts when I was 16. Small ones, they would take care of themselves in a lot of pain, but went away. I had a major one when I was in my early 20s, ended up in the emergency room. When the doctor told me he's gonna, I had to go right into emergency surgery, I said, well, what if I choose not to? He said, you will die. You're bleeding out internally. So I, I went ahead and went in. Um, once again, didn't even talk to my family about it until after the fact. Oh, by the way, I'm in the hospital. I just had emergency surgery, you know. So that was the first manifestation of that problem. No, I got to go back. That wasn't the first manifestation. Yeah, 16, that was the first. When I was 19, I was, um, went in for my very first pap smear. They said, uh, you need to go talk to an oncologist. So I went up to the university, was under Dr. Johnson's care, and really interesting being in a teaching hospital because they bring in a bunch of people to look at you, you know, which at 19 is really lovely. Um, but he kept saying something about at being at 12 o'clock and telling the students all about it. And then he, he informed me that I had a cancer that was just showing up. Um, I didn't find out till years later when I, with the internet, that it was 100% fatal at that point. And I did not know that 
they were going to do experimental stuff on me. Back then, I guess it wasn't an issue to do experimental things and not really inform you what they were doing. But they did experimental things, and they worked. Um, I never went through chemo, never radiation, never surgery. Um, all this is very confusing to me because I, can I can't find my medical records. They're, they've been expunged, so I can't go back through and explain to any doctor I talk to now that, yes, I had cancer, you know, and I had no treatment except for these experimental things. So that was, besides the ovarian cyst, that was the sec second um, manifestation of this problem. And my... Uh, my mother had no recollection of taking this medication. The doctor had asked me about it. He said, I have all the symptoms of it. So all the rest of the problems with that would be um, having tubal pregnancies and uh, stillborn babies and premature births and um, miscarriages, which I have experienced all of them. The... Um, at the point that my marriage fell apart, I, was, I lived with a quadriplegic, and I was a live-in nurse. Um, at, I took care of him for like seven months, and then I lived with him for about three months because my marriage was falling apart. I was hoping that the separation would help. That didn't help. Um, anyway, he ended up committing suicide. He arranged it so I didn't find him. But my next-door neighbor, who is now currently my husband, Dave, he arranged it so that he would find him, you know, and save me the pain. And from there, Dave and I formed a relationship. Um, it, you know, 37 years now, you know. So we've lasted for a good long time and survived a lot. But during that time... I got pregnant again, and I figured I couldn't get pregnant because I figured the ovarian cysts had, had scarred me too bad that I couldn't get pregnant. Got pregnant again, um, ended up in the hospital, well, ended up in emergency room when I was seven months along, eight months along, and they told me I had a tubal pregnancy that had ruptured because I was in a lot of pain. And uh, first they thought ovarian cysts, and they said no tubal pregnancy, and then because there was positive pregnancy tests, then they, then they told me, oh, you know, we're going to have to go in and do the surgery and remove that tube. And God spoke clearly to me. He said, you're pregnant, and this one's mine. Just a few months before that, with my foster daughter, before my marriage ended, I had gone, took her to a, a little prayer meeting at our church, and they prayed and asked, you know, prayed over her and then asked her if she wanted to accept the Lord. And she said, yes. They asked me if I did, and I said, okay. And I prayed their, their little prayer and felt nothing. No change, no big eye-opening thing. And then um, a couple months later, my, I got whiplash. I was in a lot of pain. I didn't want anybody to hug me. And these same people who prayed for me said, can we lay hands on you? This is foreign in the Catholic Church, by the way. <laughs> it was a very charismatic church. Um, they laid hands on me and prayed fervently. And my neck heated up. And the, the 
hot, whatever, shot out of the top of my head, and the pain was gone. Okay, God revealed to me again, I'm with you. I care about the little things. When I was trying to decide on my divorce, I, um, I just kept thinking, God hates divorce. I knew that. I didn't know a lot about Scripture, but I knew that. God hates divorce. And God kept telling me, let go. I'm like, that's not God. And I was in such turmoil. After dealing with trying and trying and trying, I said, okay, I'm going to let go. And I gave, God gave me a tremendous amount of peace. Once again, touching me to let me know, thank you, my, my good daughter. Thank you. You listened to me. So back to when I had the pregnancy, God told me it was, I was pregnant. The doctors, when I came to, said, you had an ovarian cyst, you have a pregnancy. The ovarian cyst, we cannot remove it because it would disrupt your pregnancy. We don't feel like we have the right to do that. But it was already filling up before we sewed you up, and chances are it will rupture and you will lose the baby anyway. Thank God that doctor made that decision not to play God himself. And I had peace. I'm going to have this baby. I went along for a while and ended up in, um, I think I got some turnaround story. Never mind. When I was eight months along, went into labor and ended up delivering Jojo, whom many of you know, at home. Frank Breach, one month premature. But I felt so confident that he belonged to God that I didn't go to the emergency room. We, we did that. And he's almost 38 years old now and awesome, and he's God's. Amen. <laughs> you know? So, um, eh, I'm trying to stay on a points here. So over the years, my husband Dave and I, and Jojo, and all that God has brought to us um, has been a blessing. Through that time, we have experienced homelessness, um, not on the street, but no home. I thank God for my friends, my sister Irene, my brother Mike, for taking us in during these times. Uh, we lived off $200 a month for a while. We had no car for a, month, a year. We walked everywhere, but God was gracious to us all the time, all the time. He never deserted us. Those were not fun times. You know, you, you start struggling to bring yourself up, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, but he kept what I call pulling the rug out from under us so that we, we had to keep relying on him over and over and over again. At the loss of my sixth baby, was a little girl, I was done. I had so much pain. I can't even say pain, numbness. I had numbness. I didn't care whether I lived or died at that point. I think because I had lost, I had lost my dad in that time to a car accident, marriage. I had had so many losses that I never grieved. My other three, four that I had lost. Um, I never grieved. I'm a person who will cry for a minute and then shut it right off and go on with life. At that point, I was numb. 
we were going to, we were at um, Southwest, not Southwest Calvary Chapel. It's, was it Southwest? West Valley Calvary, okay. They were going to have a woman's retreat two weeks after I lost Jennifer, and um, I had already planned on going to that. Um, it was very, very difficult. I felt numb. They had a woman speaker named Jill. Her ministry is called Master Potter. And the first night I watched person after person after person being healed, and I was so angry that God didn't do anything for me. I just went to bed that night, and I'm like, why not me? Why them? Why not me? You know, The next day, we're all praying. It had been raining really hard. I have, after the end of each pregnancy, have um, uh, transitory rheumatoid arthritis. So it hits, hits one joint, then another, and then another. And with each progressive pregnancy, it, it's worse. It hurts worse. Um, because of the rain and all that, I had it hit two joints, you know, hit both hips. And I was in pain, physically and emotionally. Jill had us all stand around in a circle. She said, um, there's God telling me that people, there's some people here that need to be healed. Um, there's uh, pain in somebody's hips and that. Step forward if you've got this problem. So I stepped forward. They prayed over me. Same thing. Heat. Heat in my hips shot out of the top of my head. It was gone. I thought, okay, God's listening. And then um, a little bit later, they said, people, there are people here who have lost a lot and never grieved. Me, I went forward, and God opened floodgates. I, I wept so hard. I mean, all of that came out. Sweet sister Lisa and Debbie took me aside because it was going on and on and on. God was taking me through things. First, he showed me my dad which I wasn't even praying about my dad. I mean, after I became a Christian, I'm thinking he was a good man, but did he know you? You know, he did a lot of good things, but was that just trying to make up for his mistakes? And God showed me he's with me. And then next he brought me my son, who I'd gotten to hold, and, and he was alive when he was born. Um, and I didn't have the need to hold him. Then he brought me my daughter, beautiful little girl. And he let me hold her. And this whole time, Debbie and Lisa are asking me, what is God showing you? What do you see? And I was telling them, they said, stay there. Just stay there where God wants you. And I finally got to the point where I could hand her back. You know, she belonged to God. I could hand her back. That healed me. That was such um, an opening in my life. You know, I went home, I, I, we all were all excited. We all wanted to go home early and let, share with our families. So we went home early, I got home, jumped on the bed, woke Dave up, and I'm like, oh, you can't believe what God's done. Okay, it threw him into shock, like, this is voodoo, I don't know about this. You know, he was a little bit reluctant about it. Um, but I was on the mountaintop for a year. I mean, God just blessed me. I, in that time, I was trained to be a counselor. I, I underwent some counseling. I was trained to be a counselor. I was trained to be a teacher in this group called Metamorphosis Group, you know, where I could help pour into other people and help get them past some of the thing, areas they were stuck in, you know. 
God gave me these gifts because I had a healing. So over all the years, God had me in positions of, I created a Sunday school and you know, taught it and um, worship leader in church and we had a house church for seven years. And um, all the time though, I gotta tell you, I'm feeling inadequate and all that. So it's God's doing all that in me. That's all these treasures he, he had in my treasure chest that looked ugly to everybody else, but were there for him to turn into gold and for me to allow him to pour it out to other people. So things in my life. I'm a nurse, and when I had my third abdominal surgery, I thought, this will teach me how to be empathetic toward people who have abdominal surgeries. When I had my third pneumonia, this will help teach me how to treat people with pneumonia. I have drug addiction in my family. Um, one died of an overdose. I have a brother that's been missing for three and a half years. Um, I had a nephew just murdered last year. Um, these are tragedies. These are horrible things. And what can grow from them? Whatever God wants to grow from them. It's his. He put them in our treasure chest. They're his. And he will make them into gold. And he will bring people to us that need us to pour into them. So if you feel like you have nothing, you only have that little bit of talents, and there's really not good talents, and you're mediocre, it's not about you. It's about what God has taken and made into gold. So don't be afraid to come up and give your God story too.